Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We'll talk about the latest on the budget deal in Lansing, a deal that actually saw Governor Whitmer and Republican leaders in the legislature both walking away with smiles on their faces. Zach Gorchow of Gongor News Service in Lansing will join us. Then we'll talk about how politics are changing in Oakland County ahead of the local primary elections next month. It's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. There's a line that President Joe Biden likes to use that I think says a lot about uh, something that's going on in our state right now. He says, don't tell me what you value. Show me your budget and I'll tell you what you value. Now, I'm not setting up the show to talk in praise or criticism about the president at this moment. But I do think that line appropriately assesses an important dimension of our politics. You may value one thing, but where are you putting your money? What are you doing to prioritize things with your dollar? Michigan's government just reached a budget deal last week that amounted to almost $77 billion. Education, special local projects, infrastructure work, all of them seemed to get some of the biggest chunks of the budget. They were the priorities. But this still leaves questions, a lot of questions, about why these things got money, what things got left out, and what may need priority in the future. Of course, there are also a lot of politics involved here. We have a Democratic governor and a legislature that's controlled by the other party, Republicans. That often means that there's a lot of argument over the budget. The two parties have really different priorities in terms of how and where to spend money. But it was notable, I think, last week that uh, both sides seem to be walking away from these negotiations in pretty good spirits. The governor got a lot of things that she wanted, and I think legislative leaders would say the same. So what's going on, and what does this mean for those of us who live here, who are the benefactors, uh, the beneficiaries, I'm sorry, of of the the money that gets spent uh, by state government? That's where we want to begin the conversation today, talking about the budget, what's in it what's prioritized, and how that affects our lives here in Michigan. And to help us sort through all of that, we've got Zach Gorchow. He is the publisher and executive editor of the Gongwar News Service in Lansing. Zach, welcome back to Detroit Today. Morning, Stephen. It's good to be here. So uh, let's start with uh, one of the things I just noted. I I felt like when this concluded last week, both sides seemed pretty happy. I mean, nobody's getting everything that they want. Politics doesn't really work that way. But maybe more than in even recent years, uh, it seems that uh, there's a lot of satisfaction around the deal that was made here. Am I wrong in in drawing that conclusion? Uh, No, you're not wrong. I mean, when you have this unprecedented run-up in revenues, I mean, just billions and billions and billions of dollars beyond what the state had had until, you know, very recently, there's just so much money available that everybody should be able to (laughs) go home pretty happy. And that's why I always felt, you know, there wasn't going to be some uh, massive uh, impasse on the budget is there's just too much available to make too many, you know, to make everybody happy. So, uh, it, you know, and yet there's still seven billion dollars 
available on the balance sheet, which is an extraordinary amount of state revenue. It's, it's almost uh, half of uh, what would constitute the general fund spending for the entire year. So, you know, there's still, uh, you know, more chapters to be written, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's very rare that you would see virtually every stakeholder group uh, cheering and, and, you know, genuinely thrilled uh, as well as legislators in both parties, and that's that's what we have right now. Yeah, um, uh, the politics of this uh, are, are still, of course, with us. I mean, there, there were things that our Democratic governor uh, would like to do, or or would like to prioritize that the Republican legislature was not all that uh, was not all that thrilled about. Uh, talk about who I guess got more of what they might have wanted or, or whose priorities maybe are most reflected uh, in this budget? Well, I mean, if you start with the basis that, you know, Democrats prefer a more activist government and generally would prefer to see greater increases and Republicans tend to prefer, you know, tax cuts and more restrained government spending, I, I think you'd have to say this is much more of a, a Democratic-oriented budget than a Republican-oriented budget. But mm-hmm. that being said, Republicans uh, in the legislature, most of them, you know, like to spend money on their priorities, too. Um, you know, it's not like, you know, in general, you're not seeing Republicans in the legislature looking to, you know, you don't see them looking to slash and burn in good times. They're, they've got ideas, too, on how they want to spend the money. So, you know, probably if you had to look at it, the, you know, most conservative spending item that's in there was an extra one, you know, more than $1 billion put into um, public school, the public school employee retirement system debt. That's been a big uh, calling card for Republicans for a long time to pay that down more quickly. And so I, I believe the total commitment to paying down that debt this year is somewhere on the order of uh, $3 billion uh, with an additional one billion dollar increase this year. I mean, that's that's an incredible uh, move there yeah. uh, to address debt. So that I think you know Republicans would say they're they're very very happy about. And on the on the Democratic side, you know, name a program, it's getting a, a significant increase. Uh, you know, you look at everything from revenue sharing aid to local government, public universities, community colleges. K-12 schools especially, you know, not that Republicans don't like these things too, but these are areas where Democrats have been hollering for more more spending uh, much more loudly uh, than, than the Republicans have on the whole. So um, you look at all those things and, you, you know, I, like I said, there's something here for, you know, just about everybody, and, you know, unless you're a, of the mind that government really shouldn't be doing anything. Um, but there's not a whole lot of people in the legislature who think that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I saw last week a really interesting tweet from John Truscott, who was the spokesperson for former Governor John Engler and and now uh, is a principal of the Truscott Rossman uh, PR and and strategy firm. He, he congratulated uh, the governor and the legislature on what he described as eliminating uh, the 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 gap uh, the the budget gap in public school funding uh, between between districts um, and said that it was the fulfillment of the promise of proposal A which of course uh, was passed while while Angler was governor and and did set us on the road uh, initially toward trying to eliminate that gap. I thought it was interesting because I guess I hadn't really thought of that issue in the context of Proposal A in a really long time. Um, but I also hadn't really necessarily taken uh, taken full account of of how much we've how much progress this budget makes uh, toward that goal. So I want you to talk just a little bit about education funding and the gaps that, that exist and what this budget does to address them. So it's an it's an extraordinary K twelve education budget. I mean, it's just huge investments and in, in program you know spending and programs all over the place. Uh, public school leaders really couldn't be happier. It seems with 
with what happened. So they did I mean, last year, the you know, last fiscal the fiscal year we're in now, they were able to eliminate the gap in uh, what we call like basic per pupil funding. Mm-hmm. This is the uh, what they call the foundation that each school district gets per pupil. So if you go all the way back, you know, to when Proposal A passed in 1994, um, there were very big gaps in what each district got per pupil, and it was all because of, um, you know, the way the old property tax system worked. And Proposal A essentially set things on a course to narrow that gap, that that districts should be funded equally by the state. And so finally, last year, uh, that, you know, in large part because of this huge run-up in revenues, that gap was finally eliminated and every district got from the state uh, $8,700 per pupil. And, you know, another substantial increase coming with the fiscal year that is uh, about to start $450 per pupil, so every district will get $9,150 per pupil from the state. Now, there are a handful of districts, the number is escaping me right now, but I want to say something like 30 or 40 of them that, that are well above that threshold. We're talking like Birmingham Public Schools, Bloomfield Public Schools, uh, the really, you know, uh, higher higher income areas that and this was a uh, carve out under proposal A where these districts that were spending, you know, well over 10,000 per pupil at the time got to continue, uh, doing that, that they weren't brought down. They didn't lose all of the property taxes they were putting towards schools so that they could keep doing what they were doing. Um, so it's not a hundred percent equity yet. There's still some districts out there spending a lot more, but it, it there's no comparison. Uh, where we are now versus uh, yesteryear. There's there's far more equity in in how schools are funded. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you look at uh, elsewhere in the budget, um, special education, huge, huge changes. I mean, you know, special education has become so vital. There's so many kids, you know, with uh, with IEPs, individualized education plans uh, that provide them with accommodations to meet their educational needs uh, in the classroom. And districts have been hollering for years that that has to be funded uh, much differently than it was. And, and they're going to get that this year. There's a huge, in, not a huge increase and a huge change in the way special education is funded that I think districts will and, and students will feel. Um, another huge commitment in the multi-hundreds of millions of dollars toward uh, – spe- um, uh, <laughs> toward mental health in schools. Sorry, there's so much. It's hard to keep track of it all. Uh, so, you know, helping schools, you know, to hire more, count, you know, more counselors, more professionals. The, the issue there is there's a shortage of those workers and, you know, there's concerns there aren't enough people in the pipeline to fill those positions. Uh, but nonetheless, there's going to be a lot more money available for that. Tons of money putting, you know, to go into security for schools to help pay for, uh, you know, better doors, uh, you know, to protect schools from the kinds of violence we've seen, um, a lot of money going into that. Uh, there'll be an infrastructure grant program. So, you know, a lot of school districts out there in lower property tax areas because infrastructure, school buildings is still reliant on local property taxes. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a poorer area that doesn't have very high, uh, or that doesn't have a lot of property tax revenue, you are in a world of hurt because it's much harder to raise the money to deal with building needs. So there's going to be a grant program to help those districts in poorer areas. You know, if, you know, I live in East Lansing. Uh, it's relatively easy to raise a millage to pay for new school buildings. We have a lot of we have several beautiful new elementary schools. Uh, that's not possible in poorer rural and uh, poor urban areas. So this would be a you know a big boost to them. So that I would you know are some very high level highlights there. You yeah. could probably fill up your whole show with, <laughs> with K twelve budget, but I don't know that anyone wants us to do that. Yeah, no, but I mean it's the thing that that I think reaches closest uh, to people's to a lot of people's lives in terms of the way that uh, you know government spends money, the way that uh, that that schools are are formed and structured and, and funded. Uh, I also want to talk about the expectation uh, that there would be tax cuts uh, along 
with that with this budget. There were a lot of people saying, "Look, there's all this money in Lansing, and uh, you know some of that could be passed on to uh, residents in the form of tax relief." Republicans. Uh, wanted that in one form. Governor Whitmer wanted it in an, in another. Uh, but the deal between Whitmer and the state legislature kind of got punted. Uh, talk about why that happened and what she would we we might expect to see as far as tax cutting in the coming months, and whether that'll even happen before the election. Well, I think there's a lot of doubt now whether that it happens before the election. Um, you know, the legislature. If there was going to be momentum for the Republicans to want to get something done, I think it would have been before this primary, because a lot of the you know, incumbent Republican legislators are in it up to their necks in primaries. And it, it would have been politically beneficial for them to have a big tax cut to take back home. But the legislature is, is not going to be back, I don't believe, in any meaningful way between now and the August 2nd primary. So then at that point, the Republicans have to ask themselves, you know, if we do a large tax cut, really the big beneficiary of that is going to be Governor Whitmer, who's standing for for reelection. Um, and you know, they've already got they've set they've put two large tax cuts on her desk already that were you know were largely designed as they preferred. They adopted some of what she wanted, but the big calling card was a, a large reduction in the income tax rate, which the governor has resisted. Um, and tends to benefit, uh, you know, everyone gets the same rate cut, but in terms of the dollars, the dollars tend to you know, will flow more toward the higher income folks. Um, you know, and I, I think it seems like election year politics is slowing that down now, that I think they're going to be reluctant now to sign off on something that's a huge tax cut uh, before the election. Um, the governor prefers something that is more targeted and directed with larger amounts of tax cuts to those folks. And the Republicans are looking for something more overall where everybody gets something. Um, you know, if uh, the governor does win reelection, uh, you know, then it really depends on whether uh, what happens with legislative control, who, which party wins control of the legislature uh, in the elections on whether something might happen in lame duck. If the Republicans were to keep control of the legislature, I, I think you could see something happen in lame duck. Uh, you know, the leadership there might say, you know what, let's get something done now, um, you know, uh, while we can be, you know, some legacy making kinds of things. Uh, but if um, the Democrats were to win one or both houses of the legislature, uh, you know, especially if there's both, I would suspect then the governor will say, thanks, but no thanks. We'll do what we want next year. Uh, so I, I think the, the path toward that is very clouded. That being said, they did maintain, as I said, $7 billion on the balance sheet with the idea some amount of that would be reserved for cutting taxes. So it's certainly possible. Um, you know, and the other thing, too, if you're the Republicans, you're still thinking, hey, you know, maybe there, you know, if there's an outside chance we win the governorship, maybe. So, you know, you're thinking if if whoever the Republican nominee is does beat Governor Whitmer, then they're thinking, hey, we're going to pass the tax cut we want next year, or you know, uh, some type of dramatic tax change, and we don't have to worry about making a deal with the governor. So, I think there's a lot of moving parts. Based on where we're we at right now, I don't see a lot of momentum anytime soon for a tax cut. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Zach Gorchow. He's the publisher and executive editor of the Gongwar News Service in Lansing. Uh, we're talking about the state budget deal uh, that came together. $77 billion nearly that uh, the governor and legislature agreed to spend uh, on all kinds of things, schools, infrastructure, uh, local projects. Uh, want to hear from you about uh, what your priorities are for state spending. Uh, did you take a look at this budget and think, hey, that's a, a nice way to prioritize uh, our money? Or did you take a look at it and think, eh, what are they doing? I don't think uh, we ought to be spending money on some of these things or we ought to be spending more money on other things. Uh, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, 
or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Again, 313-577-1019. Let's go to Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, what's on your mind? Good morning, Stephen. So they think we're fools, uh, Michigan residents. For example, they talk about uh, gas tax cuts. Uh, as a solution to high gas prices. What is having $5 a week more going to benefit us as opposed to the uh, good that money could do collectively? Um, Mental health, changing the economy. I'm glad that the legislators are doing something, but I don't feel like jumping for joy because they're finally doing some work. (laughs) <laughs> they're finally doing some work uh bernadette appreciate the call and that sentiment uh, zach what's your reaction to what she's saying there well i'm glad she mentioned the um idea of a gas tax or sales tax on gas holiday uh because that's still i think if anything might yet happen it would be that and uh over an income tax change uh you know there'll be a lot of uh, even though the primary will be over, there's going to be a lot of people running for office because of these new maps and more competitive districts who would love to be able to say they're they're trying to do something about uh, high gas prices. But the, your caller is, is right. I mean, you know, if you suspend, I, I think the state gasoline tax is about 27 cents per gallon right now. Um, you know, everyone can kind of do the math on that. That's uh, what you know, maybe five bucks a fill up at best, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, depending on the size of your car. Uh, you know, unless you're driving an ungodly amount of miles, that's not a, a whole lot of money back in your pocket. Uh, granted, you know, what the price of gas right now, at least around here, is about four ninety five a gallon. Sure, would it be better to see it at four sixty something? Yeah, um, but it, it's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. And then you have the sales tax on gasoline. Six um, percent applied to whatever you know you're paying per fill up, and that that could, that comes out to about the same of money right now per per gallon or so. So you know, yes, you could see the sort of political momentum to suspend both of those. My guess would be probably for the rest of the year, um, and uh, they could say, "Hey, look, you know, the price of gas right now is, uh, you know." much closer to $4 per gallon uh, as a result if, of course, the um, state service stations lower their prices accordingly, which, you know, they're not bound to do. I I think most of them would, but, um, you know, uh, it's certainly gimmicky. Uh, Yes, it would save folks some money at a time when everything else seems to be getting more expensive, Um, but it's it's certainly not some silver bullet, um, you know, as to how it could be used otherwise, I mean, yes, they certainly could uh, spend that money any number of other ways. Um, but, you know, not many groups are going wanting in this budget, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Zach Gorchow, uh, executive editor and publisher of Gongwer. It is always great to have you here to talk about state politics and uh, all the other things that go on in Lansing. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Stephen. Good yeah. to be with you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about politics in another context, Oakland County and the upcoming primary elections. We have new districts. We have a county that is changing dramatically in terms of its demographics and its politics. We're going to have two folks with us who are pretty close to things in Oakland County to explain what's going on and what we should expect as we get closer to that primary election. Stay tuned for more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Stephen Henderson, as always, thanks for tuning in. 
It's probably an understatement to say that Oakland County's importance is really, really huge here in Michigan. It is the second most populated county in Michigan. It's where some of the state's most highly educated residents reside, and it's also a significant driver of the state's economy, of course, with a lot of white-collar jobs that are located there. But what's really fascinating about Oakland County over the last decade or so is how much it is changing demographically. There is a much broader mix of people from different ethnic and racial and class backgrounds who have been moving to Oakland County than was true in the past. And that means the politics of the area are starting to change too. Oakland County now leans pretty liberal and supported both Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden in national elections. All of the countywide offices are now held by Democrats as well. But, of course, those political changes are shaking up local elections as well. We've got new districts in Oakland County, as we do in the rest of the state. And it's unclear, at least as of right now, what all of this is going to look like when we go to the polls on August 2nd for primary elections. That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today with a closer look at Oakland County. And I will say up front that this is the beginning of an extended discussion about local politics here in Southeast Michigan as we get closer to those August 2nd primaries. We will be talking about uh, races in Wayne and Macomb and other places here in Southeast Michigan as well. And of course, we will be talking about the congressional races uh, that are pretty tight in in some cases uh, as well. But we want to start with Oakland County, and we've got two people who uh, I think it's fair to say are experts on politics in uh, Oakland County to help us uh, sort through it. Dennis Darnoy is a Republican political consultant who tracks voter data and joins us from time to time to talk about politics. Dennis, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Thank you for having me on, Stephen. And Dave Woodward is the chair of the Oakland County Board of Commissioners, a longtime activist and uh, Democrat in Oakland County. Dave Woodward, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be back. Yeah. So, uh, Dave, as I said, uh, Oakland County has changed a lot over the past decade or so. I can remember when you and I used to talk about the difficulty that Democrats had and the, the, that the Democratic Party was having in, in getting real traction in Oakland County. That is not something uh, we would uh, find ourselves talking about today. So give us a sense of how the demographics have changed and how that's changed the political dynamics there, and then how that looks with this new redraw, uh, which is the first redistricting effort with uh, Oakland County looking more liberal than it than it has in its past. Sure, yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean over the last 25 years, I mean, we've seen a, a massive reversal of where Oakland County, historically this conservative bastion in southeast Michigan, now a, a progressive block of voters that's necessary for any statewide candidate elected and frankly a direct contributor to Democrats taking I mean, Congress back in 2018. The, uh, um, I mean, it's really a balance of two things. I mean, I think that the electorate, and you, 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 at the top of the show, you talked about some of the demographics in place, the education level, the diversity. Um, Oakland County historically has I mean, been socially more progressive, fiscally responsible, and I think those things haven't really changed. Um, what, what has changed is as, as Democratic candidates have been talking about jobs, income, health care, education, things that actually, I mean, we believe are necessary. The government's role is to live, to set the stage, to make people's lives better. Republicans have moved further and further away to make it clear that they, they frankly, are standing to enforce the extremist views on others. And I mean, most recently, I mean, obviously with the Supreme Court really on abortion rights, um, but a whole host of things. And that is driving a wedge. Every time the Republican moves further and further to the right, Oakland County voters move um, further and further um, to support Democratic candidates. And how that plays out in primaries, those issues that motivate, um, those issues that motivate people uh, are, I mean, coming are front and center. So we're talking about raising wages. We're talking about access to health care. We're talking about common sense and gun reform, reducing college debt, and those types of things. And that will set the stage for November, which is really the real contest um, that, that's on, on deck. Mm. 
Uh, so, Dennis, uh, the flip side of that is, of course, that Republican, the Republican stronghold, I guess, on politics in Oakland County is kind of slipping away. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean that that Republicans don't have opportunities and, and don't have uh, a strong base in Oakland County. But but I wonder what it does look like from that side of the political spectrum. Uh, what is what is the state of the Republican Party in Oakland County? And I guess what's the strategy to, to adapt to the changes that are taking place? Well, you know, as, as you and, and Commissioner Woodward have pointed out, really since uh, 2008, we've seen Oakland County uh, go from being a red county to being a purple county to now, you know, pretty solidly blue. And and what you see in Oakland County is is very similar to what you see in, in other areas of the country um, in that uh, even within the Republican Party, there is a, a divide between the more rural voters uh, and then the urban suburban divide. Um, and, and so you see, you know, Republican voters in, in, in areas such as, you know, Farmington Hills, Novi, um, Rochester, those areas, uh, their focus um, has remained what it's, you know, what it was going back to 2008. And it is the quality of life issues. It's, you know, as you were, were talking with Zach about education um, and, and crime issues and things of that. When you look at um, other areas of, of Oakland County, maybe up in uh, Oxford and, and, you know, Holly and a little bit of, you know, Oakland County uh, or excuse me, Oakland Township um, and a little bit on, on the Western side, the issues that they want to, to see their candidates focus on um, is, is just a little bit different. And so, you know, even when you look at the, the map um, going back to the general election in, in 18 and in 20, um, you can see where Republicans do well. And it's generally, um, you know, more in the, the, the Western section and, and the Northern section and where Democrats really rack up and, and it happens to be where the majority of voters live is, is really here in the central and then the, the South, uh, you know, Southeastern area. So it, 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 the Republican party still uh, like nationally still has um, a bit of differences in terms of what the focus should be on. And, um, you know, as, as long as we continue to, to have that, that fight, I think Democrats are, are going to, you know, stay very focused on what they're talking about and continue to, to, to have success here in Oakland County. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the redraw, the redistricting uh, that took place last year in anticipation of, you know, the next decade. Uh, and, and what we're looking at in terms of representation in, in Oakland County, of course, the congressional boundaries look a, a, a bit different and have inspired some folks to, to run in different districts or, or pitted uh, two, uh, two congressional representatives against one another in, in, in the 11th district. Uh, but, but in the legislature, they look different as, as well. And, and there are more districts that cross boundaries uh, into Detroit uh, from, from Oakland County. Uh, Dave Woodward, what do you make of that redraw and how it will affect uh, Oakland County, Oakland County voters. Yeah, I, mean, I think this driving force and how voters show up in the polls is not going to really change. I think the governing um, and, and who's elected at that time and how that shows up. I mean, I, um, I think the verdict is out on the independent redistricting commission. Like, is this going to give us fair lines and as a result, a more representative uh, government um, that's elected across the state? I think the verdict's out on that. Um, I mean, the idea of going down from like four Congress people that I mean really cared about Oakland County to really shift into one. I mean, I'm personally and selfishly, I'm like a little like concerned about that. Um, but uh, um, that that being said, so you pref- uh, you preferred that the county be kind of divided up the way it was in on the old map. I um. Well, I ultimately like the outcome of it. I mean, obviously, I mean we, had, we went to four uh, Democratic members of Congress, two, I mean, two that were absolutely critical to flipping a majority. Um, I, I mean, I think like, more people like, advocating for um, and some of the geopolitical needs of a local community, I mean, it, it's helpful. But broadly, I mean, what you're talking about, I, I mean, as the leadership in Oakland County has moved, I mean, again, as we've trended to be a more Democratic county, um, our partnership with our surrounding communities, particularly Detroit, Wayne County, and, and surrounding areas, 
Um, I, I think that the new lines lend itself to an opportunity to be working together to approach these problems in, with a regional lens, um, which is absolutely critical. And we, I mean, Zach was talking earlier about education needs and everything. These are things that cross across county boundaries. Um, when we talk about, I mean, jobs, healthcare, all these types of things, these are regional solutions. Um, it is short term, particularly for the elected that are running right now or find themselves running in, in seats that are dramatically different than that, what they were before. Um, there's I mean, some pain there, but that will get like sussed out um, in the primary. And then uh, there's no doubt in my mind that I mean, that we're going to rack up more wins um, going forward, particularly over the next de- decade, because of kind of the fundamentals that are in place mm-hmm. and the infrastructure that has been put, I mean, has really been built over the last 20 years to help ensure that. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Darno, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about the, the, the redraw and, and your reaction to it. I, I'm interested both from uh, your position as, as a Republican political consultant in, in, in Oakland County and, and, of course, other places, but, but also just uh, as, as a citizen, this, this idea of us drawing the lines instead of the politicians and uh, and coming up with the way that people will be represented. I wonder what you make of, of that process and what it means for Oakland County. Well, I think I was uh, surprised that there weren't more legal challenges to, to the map, uh, to be perfectly honest about it. Um, for me, and, and, and kind of echoing a little bit, um, you know, about Commissioner Woodward was saying that there are so many county breaks and, and so many, uh, you know, lines, district lines that, that previously stood um, under the, the former, uh, you know, governance, which were the APOL rules. rules. Um, so, you know, looking at what they did, uh, you know, congratulations and kudos uh, to them for standing up and, and taking on this challenge. Um, again, the maps, the, the way they are drawn uh, certainly provides challenges uh, if you're looking at it from a, from a data standpoint. Um, but, you know, again, I, I think it, it possibly could be a model moving forward for uh, an independent, you know, citizen-led uh, commission. In, in terms of, you know, Oakland County and, and looking at it, um, obviously the, the, the biggest congressional fight in Oakland County is, is going to be on the Democratic side, a primary between, um, you know, Representative Levin and Representative Stevens in, mm-hmm. in the new 11th. Um, and, and, and so that that's going to be, you know, fascinating to see. One of the things that that's disappointing for Michigan is obviously we, we lost a seat in Congress. Um, and as we do so, we, we lose seniority. In, in Congress and and the placement on committees is incredibly important on on issues, especially you know if you're talking about Great Lakes issues or, or things of that. So um, that's a little bit disappointing. But when we look here at Oakland County, there um, Democrats have a real you know real opportunity to to do something that they haven't done in a very very long time, and that's take uh, back take control of the state Senate. And there are a few seats, few open seats here in in the Senate um, here in Oakland County that that potentially could swing. Uh, control to the Democrats. Um, also, you know, interesting to me is there's talk on, at a national level that there could be a Republican wave um, and, and that the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate may go back into Republican control. It will be very interesting to see if that wave takes place here in Michigan. Mm. Um, and if it does, some of these districts that an independent commission has drawn and, and they've drawn it so that there is partisan fairness if there's a Republican wave in Michigan, you would expect to see some of these very tight, maybe you know, dem leaning by two or three percentage point seats, maybe all of a sudden come in play and put the you know the potential for taking the majority back for for Democrats in, in play. Again, not sure that's necessarily the case here in Michigan, um, but it will be interesting to see because the seats have been drawn in such a way that if there's a wave for either party, um, you are going to see changes of, of of control in those seats. Hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking with Dave Woodward and Dennis Darnoy about uh, what's going on in Oakland County in advance of the primary elections on August 2nd. I want to get going with you on the phones and on social media as well. Call and tell us what you've seen in terms of the change in Oakland County politics. Uh, do you live in Oakland County? 
talk about the things you want to see happen uh, from politicians. What kinds of things do you want them to be prioritizing? Uh, what things uh, are you looking at as you make your choices for uh, for candidates on August 2nd? Also, uh, let us know if you like the new districts, if you're voting in a different district this time than you did before and uh, how that changes your thinking about how to cast your ballot. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. You are listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about Oakland County politics and the changes in Oakland County politics uh, with Dave Woodward, who's chair of the Oakland County Board of Commissioners, and with Dennis Darnoy, a Republican political consultant. This is uh, the beginning of our discussions about politics in the region in advance of the August 2nd primaries. We're going to talk to a number of candidates in congressional races in uh, Wayne and Oakland and Macomb. We'll also talk about uh, the races for the legislature in all three uh, jurisdictions and kind of talk about what's changing in each area in terms of the redraws from uh, the redistricting commission. The districts look really different in a lot of places, and lots of people find themselves in different voting jurisdictions than they used to be. Uh, are you happy about that? Do you think that uh, that was done well and appropriately? Or are you concerned that uh, that the new lines don't reflect the kind of representation uh, that we want to have here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, want to hear from you on the phones? 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media, to Facebook or to Twitter and put comments there and uh, we can we can work you into the conversation. Um, I, I want to talk about uh, some specific races uh, here before we get to, to listeners. Uh, Dave, uh, some of the bigger names in the Democratic Party in Oakland County are State Senator Mallory McMorrow, who has enjoyed uh, a rather viral popularity uh, in the last few months, and uh, Representative Mary Manoogian, uh, who's from Birmingham. Uh, let's talk about the races, though, that they face uh, in in August. Uh, the, 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 these are districts that look a little different than they did before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, um, I mean, Senator McMorrow, and I want to applaud her, I mean, that gave voice to what so many people were I mean, wanting to say to respond to these um, baseless uh, I mean, attacks that the Republican Party continues to throw. And frankly, the more that they do that, the more the Democrats are going to win. Um, the, the Senate seat that, I mean, that she picked up, I'm really the first um, uh, Democrat to do so in 2018. I mean, it's going to span, like we were talking about others, between Oakland and, and um, she, I mean, has been this incredible champion for like, all the things that the I mean, that, that Democrat voters want to see. They want their government to set the stage for people to have an opportunity to succeed, to expand equality um, for everyone. And um, I, I mean, firmly believe that she's going to be very victorious come, I mean, come election day. Mm. Um, and I, the, 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 the Representative Manugian's district, as you, as you mentioned, um, this is a district that's going to spawn, I mean, it's going to draw, I mean, draw all the way from Birmingham all the way down to Detroit. Uh, and you've got a pretty wide open primary there. And I think um, this is a, uh, a contest to like, who do you trust to like, fight for these fundamental principles the most? And um, I mean, and then the victor of the primary is most likely to be elected in November. Yeah. Um, Dennis Darnoy, are there are there other legislative races uh, that have your have your attention this time that maybe 
wouldn't have seemed so interesting just a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, sure, we have, um, you know, we have a seat in in the West Bloomfield area that is currently represented by, uh, you know, a Republican representative. And, you know, that that's a seat that um, because of redistricting has, um, you know, become a little bit bit more competitive. Um, we have uh, another seat out on the western side, um, which is, you know, HD 54, which is an open seat. Uh, and one, again, the way it's drawn, uh, you know, has has a lot of partisan fairness and it becomes a competitive seat. So, you know, when we're talking about can, you know, Dems retake the, the state house, can they retake you know, the, the, the state Senate? Uh, these seats here in Oakland County are going to be you know, incredibly important when it comes to, to adding up the, the final tally. And again, I mean, we've, we've all talked about this. Um, it's great to win a primary, but both parties have to put forth candidates who are going to be able to win in the general. And when you all of a sudden have a, a seat that is, you know, used to maybe be plus seven or eight R and is now plus two R, it, it really matters who comes out of the primary. Um, right. And so, you know, um, as we've been looking, I mean, right now, you know, absentee ballots have gone out and, and people are, are responding. And as we've seen um, traditionally, you know, Republican primary voters are, are going to you know, show up at the ballot box. And, um, you know, in the Democratic districts, we're seeing, you know, good absentee ballot uh, turnout. So right now, the primaries across Oakland County are looking, uh, you know, the traditional voters, so, uh, what we'd expect. So, um, you know, it is, it's watching these seats and seeing which candidates come out of it and then how competitive they're going to be in a general election. Yeah. Yeah. And Stephen, I add one thing. I think it's also important to realize like, like who's in the field in these primaries, in the Democratic side and the Republican side. I mean, I'll just take it down to a very local level on my county commission. Virtually every one of my Republican colleagues are being challenged by the far right. Hmm. Something I didn't even see coming um, in this side. You thought that they would try to harness the momentum and try to build to going forward, but um, you, you had this happening not only here in Oakland County, but across the entire state. And I think to, to Dennis's point, right, that the victory in the primary is going to dictate the stage and how uh, November set. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get to our listeners here. Uh, let's start with Ten in Troy. Ten, welcome to the show. Hey, um, it, I mean, I I hear things about a, a potential red wave uh, here coming up, but it, I'm, I'm living in Oakland County, and, and when I'm talking to people right now, the major issues seem like the Republicans are on the wrong side of. I mean, people are concerned about um, reproductive rights. People are really concerned about whether or not uh, there was an actual insurrection last January and whether or not anyone's going to see any serious you know, justice for that. And and right now, people people are getting hit in their pocketbook, but people are getting shot in their pocketbook, literally. And and the the whole issue of of guns is way front of mind. And it seems like the Republicans have come down on the wrong side of all of those issues. And I'm just wondering, you know, it, it doesn't feel like any of that's working in their favor. Huh. Uh, Ten, I really appreciate the call, and of course, uh, your perspective from living there in in Oakland County. Dennis Darnoy, this seems a perfect question uh, for you. I mean, you and I have talked before about the challenges inside the Republican Party uh, with regard to you know people who back former President uh, Donald Trump versus people who are, I guess, more traditional. Um, th- that that tension seems to be at a, a particularly heightened state right now. Um, what Ten is saying, though, is that that it's it's pulling the party in a way um, that pulls it away from the, those kind of independent voters who are who are so key. Yeah, and and, and as you said, we've we've talked about this before, and. Um, you know, especially here in, in Oakland County, when you talk about uh, the reversal of, of Roe, um, you know, that that and and then obviously the the numbers that um, are being bandied about for uh, the number of signatures to get the to, to get the reproductive rights amendment on the ballot. Um, it, it does. It is very challenging for, for Republicans uh, when they're trying to relitigate the past, uh, you know, past elections, when uh, they're trying to excuse inexcusable behavior, um, when, 
you know, candidates are out there talking about, you know, can we just get past this? Um, and yet, you know, in our own backyard at, at Oxford High School, we have, uh, you know, a very serious issue that occurred. Um, and it's not something that you should just say, hey, let's get past this. So, you know, the the red wave certainly is, is something that is playing out more on a national stage. And um, as I said, you know, previously, I think the more that Republicans are, are trying to uh, maintain this, this sugar high of the Trump years, uh, the less likely it is that, that they're going to find success in an area like Oakland County. Um, and I've advocated for this for, for, you know, a decade or so that it has to be a focus on, on, on the issues that quite now, you know, quite honestly, right now the, the Democrats are winning on. I think there are areas within, uh, you know, education, within uh, the economy, um, you know, within crime. I think there are issues that Republican candidates have been able to campaign on in the past. Um, but you know, currently the the party wants to to focus on on other things, and uh, quite honestly, the the general public, and especially here in Oakland County, are, are not supportive of that. Um, and, and again, going back to to the, the Dobbs decision, mm-hmm. I've said that traditional uh, conservative Republicans, if they were were you know uh, really wanted to get it done in front of this, they could put together a a whole life. Uh, agenda that focuses on a number of things, um, you know, that, that focuses on the mothers, on the children, on the families. Mm. Um, but if we're going to sit here and just talk about uh, punitive uh, measures and restricting interstate commerce, uh, you know, that that's a losing battle. And, and <laughs> like we just said at the beginning of the show, it's we saw this uh, change take place uh, going back to around 2008. Mm-hmm. And if we continue on this path, it's going to be, you know, another decade or so. Yeah. Okay, Dennis Darnay and uh, Dave Woodward, it's always great to have you and uh, your experience and expertise in conversations here uh, on Detroit Today. Thanks so much to both of you for joining us. Thanks for having us on. Thank you very much, Stephen, and thank you, David. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with author Frederick Joseph about his new book, Patriarchy Blues. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>